Good evening, good evening. Welcome to our, what number class is this? This is, I believe, our 34th Tanya class. We've been learning Tanya for 34 times. And we're up to chapter 14, brand new chapter. We are making headway in Tanya. Isn't this nice? We start from the beginning. This is basically our 15th chapter because we had a very long author's introduction. So chapter 14 is, is, is a very, very big milestone to get to in Tanya. So with that, dear friends, let us learn chapter 14. And what an exciting title. Just look at the title, The Journey to Being a Bainini. You know, if you think about it, up until Tanya, up until now, everything in Tanya was what? What is a godly soul? What is an animal soul? What does the godly soul want? What does the animal soul want? What is the struggle between a godly soul and an animal soul? What is a tadik? What is a Russia? What is a bainini? So we had a lot of what. Everything was what. We are finally, in chapter 14, getting to the how. So how do we become a bainini? <laughs> Isn't that the most important question here? <laughs> in the past two chapters, we've learned the concept, the theory. What is a bainini? But how do we get there? And you see, a bainini is, is, is so it's a little bit daunting to become a Bainini. And how many times was I asked in this class, you know, Rabbi, are you saying that we, that I'm a Russia? <laughs> a Bainini is somebody who has, who has such perfect, consistent self-mastery. Not only he doesn't, he will not ever lapse in this type of self-control. So am I a Russia? Am I not a Bainini? And then we could start getting stuck in this trap of disillusionment of, you know, maybe being a Bainini is totally beyond me. Or, I, or at minimum, maybe it's not beyond me, but it'll take me six months to get there. It's a long, long journey. And it'll take a lot, a lot of work. So there could be a certain sense of, dis, of disillusionment, maybe even frustration, that, oh, I know, I, want, I, know, I, I know that I should be a Bainini, I know that I could be a Bainini, but it, it, it's such a long, far road until I would actually become a Bainini, somebody who could, who's inspired every day, never sins, never this. <laughs> That's so hard. And one of the things that happen when there's very big tasks to do, even if we want to do it, is we start kicking the can down the road. It's like people going on a diet. Everybody knows that a diet is not a one-day thing. A diet is a big commitment. The statistics say that most diets don't last more than two weeks. It makes sense. About 10, 11 days into a diet is when there's this litmus, this litmus test of, okay, you know, you were excited at the beginning. It was all good. You bought new foods and you got into that. But are you really, really committed? It's usually about two weeks exactly where there's a, that, that question of, are, is this just a, a one-time excitement and that's going to wear off within two weeks or is it going to last? So what happens is a lot of people who will say, you know what, 2023, I'm going on a diet. I'll lose 20 pounds in 2023. But what do they then say? They say, yeah, I plan on going on a diet, but not today. <laughs> Tomorrow the diet starts. Or not, not now, maybe next week, maybe next month. Sometime. I know it's going to take me three, four months of having a special diet, a special commitment. Not today. Whenever there's something very big to do, we always push it off. Yeah, I plan on doing it. I'll do it, but not now. The Alter Rebbe in chapter 14 begins to teach us 
the road on becoming a Bainani. The journey of becoming a Bainani starts here. Every board game tells you where you start. Put your pin down here. The journey of a Bainani starts here. Let us read. The altar begins with beautiful words. And, and I'm going to read a little bit, but there's a lot to unpack over here. Part one, you can be a Bainani now, says the Alter Rebbe. Now, the level of the Bainani is a standard attainable by every person. And it is the goal on which every person should be focused. So number one, you are the Bainani. You could become the Bainani. And this is what, this is your goal. Why is this your goal? Because every person is capable of being a Bainani in all circumstances and at any time. Being a Bainani is never ever beyond your human capability at this moment. There's never a moment you can say, not now. Right now I can't be a Bainani. So the Altar finally says these magic words. The Altar never told us to us yet. I told it to you. But now the Altar is finally telling us, you are this Bainani. You could be the Bainani. It's, it's attainable. You know, the opening words of Tanya, if you remember, the Tanya is based upon a verse in the Torah. Kikarov elecha hadavar me'od. This is so near to you. It is so accessible for a Jew to serve God the way God expects you to. How does God expect us to be? A Benini. And karov elecha hadavar. It is so near to you. The premise of Tanya is, right, it needs to be very near to you, right? Exceedingly near to you. You could be a Bainani. At any moment, you could choose right now, I'm going to be a Bainani, which is an unbelievable thing. You don't need to spend three months, six months, nine months doing heavy prep and getting yourself in a certain mode and then, oh, finally, I'll be a Bainani. Maybe one day I'll be a Bainani. Right? Maybe one day when I grow up, I'll become a Bainani. No, I'm saying today, right now, you could be a Bainani. Why is this? The author is like this. Because after all, if you had to get down to the essence of the Bainani's experience, because after all, the Bainani is not someone who abhors the bad. That is something that depends on the heart. And for the heart's emotions, not all circumstances are the same. A Bainani's experience is not that he's emotionally there. It's not that he's always emotionally feeling it. The opposite, he's struggling a lot. The Bainini is not somebody who doesn't have an animal soul, can't relate to the desires of the animal soul, to the weaknesses of the animal soul. Physical pleasures? No, the Bainini totally relates to it. But he's controlling himself. So the Altarist says, if the Bainini was all about emotions, that would be very tough. That would be very tough. To ask somebody to be in control of their emotions, that emotionally they should be in a holy space, that's very difficult. That we can't expect from ourselves. For sure, not every day. Sometimes we could expect it from us. Yom Kippur, maybe we could expect it from ourselves. A nice holiday, we could expect it from ourselves. But every day, no matter what's happening. So, the Bainini doesn't have to be somebody who hates and is disgusted and is naturally... Uh, 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 he, ab- he abhors, he's disgusted. Anything which is negative, anything which is sinful. Rather, the Alter Rebbe says, to be a Bainini, 
you turn away from the bad and you do good. Meaning, you deal with the actual, deal with the practical, indeed in words and in thought. That Bayani is simply somebody who, in action, in behavior, in conscious behavior, has to make choices. The Bayani is always somebody who's going to be denying himself a temptation in the heart. That Bayani is always going to be somebody who's holding himself to a standard that he doesn't naturally relate to. He doesn't naturally feel for. That's fine. That's the Bainani. The Bainani is somebody who's struggling inside, but keeps that level of control on the outside. So to be a Bainani, you got to focus on the actual deed, words, thought. And that is where there is free choice, empowerment, and autonomy granted to every person to do, to speak, and to think. Even that which is contrary to the cravings of the heart and to even do the exact opposite. You could be a Bainani because what all we're asking you to do is to be in control of what you do. And what you do, that you have a lot of control over. No one ever loses themselves totally to the heart. You could always control yourself. Well, let's continue. Because even when the heart lusts and desires a certain physical pleasure, whether permissible or forbidden, heaven forbid, you can strengthen yourself and turn your mind from it entirely. There we go. Let's, let's stop. Let's give a pause over here. What is the altar telling us here? Let's think for a moment. I want to unpack this a little bit with you. As I told you earlier, big commitments and big changes are very scary for us as humans. And that is why as humans we want to kick the we want to kick the ball down the road. I'll do it. I'll become a Bainani. But maybe tomorrow we'll start. The Alter says something which is so profound. The Alter says the journey to be a Bainani is right now. Right now make a choice. Forget about the long, the long picture. Forget about <laughs> what am I, well, you know, a massive commitment for the next year. No, 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 no. If you're going to start worrying about how to become a complete Bainani, you're never going to do it. Let's be honest. What you have to do is make a choice right now. One decision. One decision. And you have one decision to do something. I could either give in to the weakness of my animal soul, or I could say no. My animal soul says, I'm not interested in doing this. And I have the opportunity to do a mitzvah, I do the mitzvah. If you had to boil down the experience of a Bainani, that is a Bainani experience. I have a conflict, and I'm making a choice. Now, <laughs> a Bainani, the complete Bainani, is somebody who is able to do that 24-7. But essentially, every moment of life is that experience. Right now. One little experience. What the author of it says is, take it one day at a time. The journey of being a Bainani is making that choice right now. Once you do it once, then you can do it a second time. <laughs> once you do it a second time, maybe you'll choose to do it a third time. But then you'll already get into this place where your stamina, where your godly soul's energy and willpower is already getting activated. You're getting the good, those good juices flowing. It's in a good space. But the author says the journey of being a Bainini starts today and now. Right now you can be a Bainini. You know how? 
You right now have a choice of abandoning. So make that choice. One step at a time. Or as they say, as the saying goes, one day at a time. Just take it one day at a time. Every abandoning begins like this. If you want to get to a place where you have consistency, where you could really be a strong Bainini, this is how to begin. Don't worry about the six-month journey of, of building up inspiration and consistency and never sinning. Right now you have a choice. I'll tell you a wonderful story. Wonderful story. I didn't read it, but Kirk Douglas wrote a book, right? The, the great Hollywood actor. I've never read his book, and I'm not really too into Kirk Douglas, but I've heard, I heard this story. Wonderful story. Kirk Douglas, of course, was a, was a Jew. <laughs> And Noah says even one minute at a time. Yeah, I'll say one, five minutes at a time. Yeah, one minute at a time. One decision at a time. So Kirk Douglas was a Jew. Uh, if I remember correctly, his, his, his Jewish name was Isser, right? What a good, nice Jewish name, Isser. And he came from a Russian Jewish family. His father was Russian. He grew up very poor. And his father was a, uh, was a big, big smoker. And his doctor one day tells his father that he got to stop smoking or else you're going to have cancer, you're going to die. Basically, smoke or smoke and die, or you could stop and live. And uh, Kirk Douglas's father, he had to stop smoking. It was very difficult for him. So you know what Kirk Douglas' father did? He made it. He didn't say I'm stopping to smoke. He would always carry a cigarette, a cigarette with him, in his breast pocket. He's always with a cigarette. He didn't say I'm throwing out all cigarettes. No, no, no. And whenever he felt the urge to smoke, you know what he would do? He would take out that cigarette, hold it in his hand, look at it. And in a Russian accent, he would say, Who's stronger? You? Me? He would take it out. Who's stronger? You or me? And he would put it back in his pocket. Which means, <laughs> for him to make commitment, I'm never touching a cigarette again, that would be too difficult. And he would want to break it. He would need to break it. There would be a point where human nature is that we don't do well with that. Change right now. Cold turkey. It doesn't work that way. We humans don't work that way. So Kirk Douglas, I don't know who told him to do this. Brilliant thing. Don't stop cold turkey. You could do it. Just make a decision every time. <laughs> so what the author of is asking us, is stop worrying about how to be the complete vanity, which is a real journey, which takes a lot of work. Right now, today, in your circumstance, you are facing a choice. Forget about the future. Right now, are you going to make a vanity choice or a Russia choice? Who's stronger, the cigarette or me? <laughs> what am I going to do? That's a lot easier to work with. And that is the way you begin the journey of being a Bainini. You know, so often, one of the things that hold us back in life is that we don't want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> and we need to feel like either I'm there or I'm not there. You know, as, as a rabbi, I get this so often. I'll ask a Jew, do you want to put on tefillin? I'll ask a Jew, you know, do you want to do this? And they're like, oh, rabbi, you know, that's, I just don't do that. Or like, oh, I'm not a religious Jew. I don't do that. Yeah, I, I know you don't usually do it, but do it now. Oh, but I don't do that. It's like, this is my standard in life. I don't put on tefillin. My standard in life, I just simply don't do this. What do you mean don't do it? Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you usually don't do it. But like, why the fact that you usually don't do it <laughs> mean they can't do it right now? 
See, we humans are stuck in this area. Either I'm on a diet or I'm not on a diet. If I'm on a diet, then I, you know, I'm like a, I don't touch anything. If I'm not on a diet, then no problem. I can do whatever I want. But the author says, no, look, look, look. Every single moment is its own decision. I'll give you a little example. It's just, I think it's a very, it's a paradigm shift how to think about life. Imagine you have a choice. You're going out for lunch. And let's say, let's say, let's say you don't keep kosher. You generally don't keep kosher. Let's say. And then you have a choice. I want to go out for lunch. And there's two, either you go out to Soul Cafe, kosher, or you go somewhere else to a different cafe, not kosher. Most people would think, why should I do, why should I eat kosher now? I don't keep kosher. What's the point of me eating kosher for, for one meal? Judaism says the opposite. <laughs> you could eat kosher one meal. That's a wonderful decision. Eating kosher is a mitzvah. Staying away from non-kosher is staying away from doing sinful. Amazing. I, this evening, you're going to eat non-kosher again? Okay. <laughs> well, why are you mixing up the, the, the future with the present? Right now, you have a decision to make. So sometimes we, we get in our own way. We could be a bainity right now. And instead of being a bainity right now, we say, you know what? I wasn't a bainity yesterday. I'm not going to be a bainity tomorrow. So why should I be a bainity today? It's a very foolish way of looking at things. Altabah says, you could be a bainity right now. All you got to do is make a choice. And I, you'll say, my heart is not there. So what? That's the bainity. That is the bainity. The bainity is not somebody who's consistent in emotions and feelings and in action. You know how many times I get this question? Religious Jews are hypocritical. You're religious, and then I go see, and they do something wrong. And they steal money, and they cheat, and they do this, and they that. It's such a silly question. You think religious Jews are saints? <laughs> religious Jews also have a Yetzirah. Religious Jews also have an animal soul. They have the same temptations as every human being. The only thing about being religious, being religious means you have a standard that you live your life by, or at least you try to live your life by. It doesn't mean that your emotions are there. It doesn't mean that your soul always likes what you're doing. It doesn't mean that your soul is on board that we're never going to eat this again. No, not always. This is the Bainanese experience. The Bainanese experience is, I relate to sin, but I'm going to decide not to do it. The Talmud says something very interesting. There's a statement in the Talmud that captures the essence of the Bainanese. The Talmud says, a person should not say, I don't want to sin. A person should say, I do want to sin. But what should I do that my father in heaven told me I'm not allowed to? <laughs> That's the bainity. I want to sin. I, I understand the temptation, but I'm not going to do it. My father, my father in heaven told me not to do it. So the author of it says, this is the goal. The beginning of the journey of being a bainity is, don't wait to tomorrow to change. There's, there's, no, there's no change happening. There's no fairy tales in life. It's one decision at a time. A day at a time. Five minutes at a time. Yes, Paulina, go ahead. You got a question? I actually had a comment which surprised me. Um, you said Benyuni means in between, right? Yes. And every every moment we need to decide in between. We need to make a decision to to be a Benyuni, to be in between. Interesting. The Benyuni is also always struggling in this in between zone. Yeah, right. a bainani is always fighting that that influx position, right? right. The bainani is always in this in between space of tension, being pulled in two different directions. And this is the essence of being a Jew. Okay, so the Alter says you could control yourself, 
Because we're not asking you to change your emotions. To change your emotions, that's very difficult. Like imagine you're saying, this year I'm going on a diet, and my diet is to train myself to hate ice cream. You ever heard of such a diet? <laughs> you know why there's no such diets? Because it's ridiculous. If you like ice cream, you like ice cream. <laughs> you want to change your emotions? No diet tells you, you want to stop eating ice cream? You got to hate ice cream. I said, that's crazy. That's we're, we're, we're human. Rather, the diet says, I know you like ice cream. Stay away from it. <laughs> Tell yourself, I'm not going to eat it. Ah, you like it. So what? So what? It's okay. That's a bait in me. I want to do something. Okay. So what? <laughs> today in society, this is such a radical idea because today in society, everybody says, oh, you feel like doing it? Go, go do it. Whatever you want. Be true to yourself, we tell our children. Be true to yourself. Do whatever you want. Judaism says the exact opposite. What are you, an animal? Whatever you want, you do. The opposite. You're human. Accept your humanity. Accept the idea that sometimes we're going to do things that we're, we don't feel for it. It's okay. It's okay. But the Atrebus says, for this to work, you have to be at least a little bit motivated, a little bit inspired. So the Atrebus is going to give us a script here. Unbelievable. Page 121. A personal pep talk. We all have to give ourselves a pep talk at whenever we are standing at a crossroads. Maybe we should tell this to ourselves every day. And it's uh, such beautiful words. The Alter Rebbe says, look at this, the top page 121. You only need to speak to your heart and say, sometimes we have to speak to ourselves. Sometimes we have to motivate ourselves. Speak to my heart. Isn't that beautiful? And this is one of the few times in Tanya where we have this concept. The Alter Rebbe says, the Alter is going to give us a script what to speak to ourselves. How to, how to motivate ourselves by, by contemplation, by us speaking to ourselves. I want to read a little bit, but then I have to, I have to, um, I have to back up. I'm going to have to explain to you a little bit. So let's read. Top page 121. You only need to speak to your heart and say, I don't want to be a Russia, even for one moment. Really, I don't want to be a Russia. Because I don't want to be separated and disconnected, heaven forbid, from the one God by any means. Like it says, your sins separate between you and God. A sin puts a separation. A sin puts a barrier between me and God. I don't want to be separate. I don't want to be a Russian. Rather, let's continue. Rather, I want only to connect my soul, my spirit, and the divine breath within me to Him. Really, I want to be connected to God. And I can only do that by investing them, by investing my soul within His blessed garments which are the actions, the words, and the thoughts of God, His Torah, and His mitzvahs. A sin disconnects me from God. A mitzvah connects me with God. I want to connect. Okay. But I, I before we keep on reading, I need to give you a little bit of background. What does this mean that every single Jew wants to be connected to God? Who said? You don't want to be disconnected from God? Who said? Every Jew really wants to be connected to God? Do I really always feel like I want to be connected to God and that I don't, heaven forbid, want to be disconnected? Maybe, maybe I don't always feel that way. The Altimus is like this. There's an unbelievable statement in the Talmud. And if you think about it, the statement in the Talmud makes no sense. The Talmud says like this. It is impossible for a Jew to sin. 
unless a spirit of insanity enters into him. Talmud says, really, the natural state of a Jew is that it's an impossibility for you to sin. And the only way that you could sin is because you are like infected. You get this virus of insanity that totally clouds your judgment. And only therefore you could sin. If you think about it, that's, that's a pretty wild state. How does it make any sense? We humans are naturally, are naturally gravitate to human pleasures, to anything that stimulates our, our and then there comes the Talmud and says, no, it's impossible. For a Jew to sin, impossibility. It's an unbelievable question. What, what are you talking about? I think it's maybe the opposite. Yeah, the Hebrew word is shtus. Shtus means folly, foolishness, self-deception, self-delusion. You're delusional. You're out of touch. The author explains like this. The Alter Rebbe says, and this is going to be something we're going to explore in depth later on in Tanya, but the Alter Rebbe touches upon it here. The Alter Rebbe says, really? Every single Jew is born with a very deep connection with God. And we call that deep connection with God the hidden love. Every Jew loves God. This is not something that is, that is built by nurture. It's not because we went to Hebrew schools and we learned about God, so now we love God. And just by the way, Hebrew schools is actually was traditionally not a good recipe to get American Jewish children to love God. Quite the contrary, <laughs> unfortunately. The state of Judaism in America. Right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hebrew school was not, didn't work out well in America. Okay. So this love of God is not something that is developed. It's not something you have to learn about. It's not something you have to earn. You're born with it. The second the Jewish child enters this world, he has in his heart a love for God. And the amazing thing is that you love God before you loved ice cream. It doesn't take long for a baby to love ice cream. You know how long it takes? Noah, you're a professor. How long does it take for a kid to, to identify that he loves ice cream? It's like milliseconds, no? The first time a child tastes ice cream... It blows their mind. It's love at first sight. But it's still at that moment. At that moment, it comes into being the love. It's not oh, pre-existent. Exactly. You weren't born with that love for ice cream, right? Children aren't born saying, I, lo- I know I love ice cream. You got you to first meet ice cream, and then it's love at first bite. Not love at first sight. Love at exactly. first Okay, wonderful. The amazing thing is that no matter what you love in this world... You love pleasure, you love ice cream, right? <laughs> Your love for God predates that all. Unbelievable thing. Now you could say, who, who, what's the proof? Who said this? The author says, I have a proof. I have a proof that every Jew loves God, whether they're religious, whether they're this. I, I, we're not talking about, this has nothing to do with how religious you are, nothing to do with how smart you are and how scholarly you are and how much Torah you Nothing to do with that. You're a Jew, you love God. It's your birthright. You're, you have a Jewish soul, you love God. Equally. Every Jew equally. How does the Alter Rebbe know? The Alter Rebbe says because it is an empirical fact. It's a historical fact. And you know, every single theory in science, how do you test it? Sorry, how do you know that a scientific theory is true? What makes a scientific theory true 
is uh, what's the proper word for it, Noah? When you keep on testing it, right? What, what's what's the proper term I'm looking for? Replication. That's what I was making. Replication. Could I replicate this in a lab, right? If I could keep on replicating this and always get the exact same results, then I start seeing that this is fact. So with the Jewish people, there has been something which has been unfortunately replicated in every, with every single type of Jew and every single type of civilization and every single type of culture different variations which is that if you'll give a Jew an ultimatum convert and you will live or stay a faithful Jew and you will be killed right now that Jew always says please kill me but I will not leave my relationship with God and this is a historical fact which means that we all even though we don't think that we have the superpower, need to know that we have a superpower. That we love God so deeply that I'm willing to give up my life not to deny myself, not to sever the relationship that I have with God. Every Jew gives up his life. Which is amazing. I love God so much, not just so much that I'm willing to sleep less for five minutes. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll die for this love. You know what I'm saying? This is the ultimate love. I won't love, I will, I'll never die for my ice cream, even though I love ice cream. <laughs> I love sushi. I won't die for my sushi. I will die for God. The only question is, if you'll die for God, why won't you live for God? <laughs> if you'll die for God, why won't you do a little, little inconvenience, but do a mitzvah for God. Stay away from sin. You love God so much, you're even ready to die. Why don't you do this? So this is what the Talmud says. The Talmud says, a Jew is only capable of dying because we get the spirit of insanity enters into us and it clouds our judgment. And dear friends, I want you to listen. And what does it do to us? It fools us. It deludes us that we could do this and it didn't hurt our relationship with God. In the Hebrew, it's odenu biyahadusai. I could do this and I'm still a good Jew. I could do this and I'm still one with God. No problem. And therefore, that's a spirit of, of, of insanity that enters into the Jew's conscience and clouds the Jew's judgment and tells the Jew, you could do this. You're okay. Not a big deal. And I want to tell you something. <laughs> Every husband knows this when it comes to relationships. Every husband will do certain things that will maybe uh, not that's not in the best interest of the relationship. I'm not talking about the big things, the big red lines. I'm talking about small, small little things. Or they'll not do something that they really should have done. And what the husband will tell himself is, it's okay, it's not going to hurt the relationship. We're married for so many years, we're committed to each other. Whatever, small little thing, not a big deal. But really, that's not the case. <laughs> Every good thing that we do in a marriage strengthens the marriage, and everything that we do negative hurts the relationship. Maybe it's not earth-shattering, but it hurts it. It lessens the, the, the quality of this relationship. So we could think, you know, oh, my small little sin that I'm doing, the small little mitzvah that I pass over. Big deal, big deal. It's one small, I'm still a good Jew. That is insanity. That is self-delusion that we could tell ourselves I'm still good. It's like the husband that says, you know what, we're married. I could do this. We're not going to get divorced. 
<laughs> for a husband to walk around and always make choices based on will this cause me to, to, to get divorced or not? And that's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. And he's right. Yeah, you do a small little thing, you know, she's not going to divorce you over that. But come on, is that what we're talking about over here? <laughs> Relationships are so much more deeper than that. Yes, there's always a cutoff line. Anything that you do wrong creates a dent, creates a little bit of a barrier here. And then you do another small thing, it's a deeper dent and a stronger barrier. So a Jew has to remember that he loves God deeply, whether he or she realizes it or not. Whether they are conscious of it or not. And the Jew has to know that right now I don't feel this love, but I know, statistics tell me, that 99.99% of a chance that if I will face, God forbid, if I will face that ultimatum, convert and live or stay Jewish and die, I will choose die for God. How unbelievable is that? You will choose that. I love God. I don't want to be a Russia. If I can really be honest with myself, what do you really, 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 really want? What really matters to me? Yeah, I know right now I'm tempted to do this, but I wouldn't die for this. I wouldn't die for my ice cream. I would die for God. I love God. I really, I don't want to be a Russia. Really, I want to be a Bainani. I really want to do a mitzvah. That's my true essence. So let's read this again from the top, and then we'll keep on going through the script. Tell yourself like this. Speak to your heart and say, I don't want to be a Russia even for one moment because I don't want to be separated and disconnected, heaven forbid, from the one God by any means. Like it says, your sins separate between you and God. I don't want to be separated from God. Rather, I only want to connect my soul, my spirit, and the divine breath within me to Him. Really, I just want to be connected with Him. And I can do that by investing them, by investing my soul and my spirit and my divine breath within His blessed garments, which are His actions, the words, and the thoughts of God, His Torah and His mitzvahs. Really, I want to be connected with God. Who said I want to be connected with God? Who said I love God? Who said I really want this connection? So it comes out there, Rebbe saying, I can choose to connect to God any time. I, I know that I want to be connected to God at any time by virtue of the love, because of the love that is always dormant within my heart. I know that I have a love that's hidden, buried in the essence of my heart. This is what's called, every single Jew has a Jewish soul, has a Jewish spark. Ayidisha hearts. Every Jew has a warm Jewish heart, even if you don't see it, and even if they don't see it. It's there. It's a love that's dormant within the heart. Just as it is in the heart of all Jewish people. For they are all called those who love your name. Every Jew loves God. This isn't saying, I'm great, I love God. No, 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 no. It's nothing personal. You're a Jew, every Jew loves God. That's you. You don't have to feel it. You don't even have to like it. It's the truth. It's the facts. This is the fact. This is the fact of being a Jew. You love God. And it goes even further. And due to this love, even the most uncommitted Jew is capable of giving up his life for the sanctity of God's name. And I am certainly no worse than him. <laughs> Even the worst Jew alive. Who am I to say who's the worst Jew alive? But consider it. Imagine it. 
the very worst Jew alive, he would be a Jew who would still be somebody who loves God and is willing to give up his life. Okay, that's the worst Jew. I'm not the worst Jew. <laughs> You're, we're way too average to be the worst Jew. So, it's a matter of deduction. I'm no worse than he is. Even he, even he loves God. I for sure love God. So if that uncommitted Jew, if that horrible Jew, <laughs> if that horrible Jew still loves God, how does he sin? So, we, again, we're still talking to ourselves, right? So the script continues. It's just that a mood of insanity infects him. A spirit of self-deception, a spirit of self-delusion enters him. So that now he imagines that he can do the sin and still retain his Jewishness. That his soul will not be separated from the God of Israel. This is the delusion. We tell ourselves it's okay. I could sin. It's not so bad. I'm still a good Jew. I'm still one with God. He also forgets his love for God that is sequestered deep in his heart. The insanity just simply makes him forget about his relationship with God. But we have to conclude this, the punchline, but I do not want to be a fool like him to deny the obvious truth. He forgets God and therefore he's a Russia. But that's insanity. He's telling himself baloney. I want to not be a fool and always be in recognition of the truth. In other words, <laughs> this is basically an inner conflict where we're trying to ask ourselves, who is the real me? Is the real me the one that wants to sin for a fleeting moment of pleasure? Or is the real me the one that says, yeah, maybe right now I don't feel it, but really, 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 I really love God. And I'd even die for that love. So right now, even when I'm not feeling the love, what should I be doing and what would be the choice that is most consistent with my truth, with my essence, with the real me? So the altar says, oh, I got to do five minutes at a time. Five minutes at a time. All you got to do. Tell yourself that this is really who I am. I really love God. The proof is in the pudding. Our own grandparents gave up their lives, gave up every single pleasure in life just to be a committed Jew. Something within them pushed those buttons. And we have that too. Every Jew has it. This, again, this is not something which comes because you earned it or because you were nurtured to have it. It is simply the nature of the Jew. It is instinct. This is primal instinct over here. <laughs> Unbelievable. The love for God is the deepest part of your humanity. Deeper than any other emotional relationship, whether positive or negative, that you will ever make in life. So it's just a matter, it's not a matter of being a long-term commitment. It's a matter of right now. In this moment, will I choose to be a Russia? Or in this moment, will I choose to be a Benini? I want to tell you two stories, dear friends, as uh, we conclude today's class. And you know, I just want to make a point, a little observation. One of the beauties of what we're reading over here is that some people think that Judaism is dominated by fear, motivated by fear. Most religions are built around fear of punishment, fear of retribution, and uh, incentives, rewards. 
like in Christianity, they were all obsessed about not going to hell. And they build up hell very bigly. <laughs> so it's like that people have this vivid imagination, vivid concept of what hell should look like. It's like that they'll know what to be scared of. And in Islam, they have these promises of reward, 70 virgins, who knows what. And over here, the author is trying to help us identify an inner motivation to make a choice that is not always easy, that is not always convenient, and the Altarbis has nothing about punishment, nothing about reward. You'll never catch the Altarbis saying anything like, you know, oh, you could do this, but you just know that in a few years, God is going to have a meeting with you, and believe me, God is going to settle the score, and boy, oh boy, you're going to regret making these decisions now, and you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> the Altarbis doesn't say such things. You know what the Altarbis says? Just think, be honest. It's, it's a much more beautiful and mature and real way of looking at life. I'll give you the Hebrew terms. There's something called yirat ha'onesh, fear of punishment. And then there's something called, something totally different called yirat chet, fear of the sin itself. I'm not scared of the consequences. I'm scared of the act. I, I, I love this relationship too much. I, am, I, I care about this too much that I'm scared to violate. I'm scared to lose this relationship. That, that, that's real. That's meaningful. That's not silly motivation. So the theme of today is take it one step at a time, one day at a time, five minutes at a time. It's not about the long-term plan. It's about in this moment. Is this moment going to be my Russia moment or is this going to be a moment of me being a Bainini? So two stories. You know, Mushki had a, had a great uncle. His name was Rabbi Mendel Futterfass. Rabbi Mendel Futterfass was an unbelievable person, unbelievable chassid, special Jew. He was a fire. He was a fire of a Jew. And um, he, in the 1940s, was part of a clandestine operation, a Chabad operation, to smuggle Jews out of Russia. And how do they smuggle Jews out of Russia? They falsified Polish passports. Because at that time, there was a few-year window that Russia was allowing, uh, that it was allowing people that possessed a Polish passport to leave and enter into Poland after the war. So Chabad saw the opportunity that if we could just give all the Jews Polish passports, we could get them through the border. And then they could go to Israel, they go to America, you know, get, get, get them out to safety and to freedom. So they had to get Hasidim who were uh, very talented. <laughs> so Medlo Futterfas, he had a very big talent in art. It actually runs in Mushki's family. Art, Mushki's grandfather is, a, is, a, is very talented in art. So Medlo Futterfas, his specialty was, re, was recreating, uh, uh, frauding, <laughs> is that the word, a, uh, a, the, the stamp on the passport. He would make the stamp with a pencil. And he would make it so perfectly nobody was ever caught. So there was a team of Hasidim. And uh, they knew that the Russian authorities are on their case. And they sensed when the Russian authorities were getting very close to them. And But they didn't leave. <laughs> They're busy sending everybody else out on trains into Poland. But they themselves didn't leave, which was a tremendous act of sacrifice. Because they knew that the second any one of them leave, you know what happens? The operation is over. Every single one of them were needed. If Mendel Futterfass would leave, the operation would just come to an end because no one can make the stamp. If you don't have a stamp there, they're going to catch you in a second. So this group of Jews that were doing this operation 
unbelievably stayed till the last minute and were caught red-handed, and they knew it. Some of them were killed. Menlo Futterfas was sentenced to life in the gulags. Miraculously, no one's really sure exactly why, but after 17 years, I believe 17, he was released from, uh, from Siberia. But you have to realize he had a wife, he had young children, three young children. And um, he sent them off to Poland because he knew that he was getting caught. He didn't see them for 17 years. Just the, the, the sacrifice from one Jew to save other Jews is just unbelievable. Young man, he was a young man. So he comes to, to, to Siberia, to this uh, slave, lab- slave labor camps, and he's literally there with the uh, lowest echelons of society, the worst people, the worst criminals, the most debased people. And this is his company he has to spend the next rest of his life with. And he basically makes this decision that he's going to, whatever he hears from these and these people were not having very... Um, refined conversations, <laughs> right, to put it mildly. But he said, whatever I hear, I'm going to use as a lesson of how to serve God. And that became his MO, his modus operandi. Whatever I hear is going to be a lesson for me and my Judaism. And he did that. And they, they learned to respect him a lot. He respected them, and they respected him. They called him the rabbi. And it was unbelievable. They would make sure they could keep Shabbos. They helped him keep Yom Kippur. They would do his jobs for him. Very beautiful thing. And um, he was there for 17 years like this. He went in as a young man with a black beard like me, and he came out with a big, white, long beard. <laughs> That's uh, that, that, the, 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 right, the, um, the prime years of his life he spent in a labor camp. And amazingly, he came out, he came to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, I have a new mission for you. He says, Rebbe, <laughs> I just sat in jail for 17 years. Let me enjoy life a little bit. The Rebbe said, no, 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 no. If we're alive, God has, God has work for us. And the Rebbe sent him to Israel to be a teacher and a mentor and teach Hasidus in the yeshiva to young boys in Israel. And he said, I want to be near, near the Rebbe. <laughs> the Rebbe said, no, you come visit, but you have a, I have a job for you. And that's what he did for the rest of his life. He was a mashpia in Israel. That was the way that the, the, the Rebbe said, what, you think only in Russia you have to work hard? You think here in America there's no work for us to do? Lots of work for us to do. <laughs> okay, in any case, so Menlo Futafas, he shared this story. And he shared this story as a way to teach this concept. Listen to this. One of the jobs that were given out to the prisoners in Siberia is to be on watch through the night, to watch over the labor camp at night. And everyone knew that this was the worst job to get because the chances of coming back alive were slim. It was freezing cold. You weren't really given the best clothing. And you have to stand there on guard a whole night. And uh, pe- people would, 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 would die from hypothermia. And Menlo Futterfas knew, that, and one night he gets it. One night he gets that, uh, he gets the job. Now, dying from hypothermia, they say, is, is the most peaceful way to die. Because you know, it's, not, it's, very, it's painless. It's very blissful. Not that I've been there, thank God, but what happens is you get very, very cold. And one of the signs of your body starting to shut down is that you get this very exhausting feeling. And you get this, this, this uh, 
un- unbearable urge to go to sleep. And you drift off into a peace sleep, into a very peaceful sleep, and you never wake up. So you go to sleep. That's that's the that's the process of dying from hypothermia. You have this tremendous urge to go into a very warm sleep, and you die in that sleep. So Mendel Futterfass knew that he simply has to with withstand the urge of closing his eyes. He cannot let himself fall asleep. No naps on the job, or else he's a dead man. And guess what happens? It's eleven o'clock at night. He has to be there till seven thirty in the morning, and he's he starts feeling it. This unbearable temptation. I need to take a five minute nap. I need to just sit down and close my eyes. And he just couldn't do it. See, so you know what he told himself? Let me just do it for five minutes. For the next five minutes, no sleeping. So he did it. Five minutes, no sleeping. And you know what he did after those next five minutes? Okay, that worked. I could stay awake for five minutes. Another five minutes. He stayed awake for hours, but only five minutes at a time. He said, for me to tell myself, you have to stay awake right now for seven, eight hours. Impossible. I'm, 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 I'm falling off my face. But five minutes I could do. That's how he survived the night. And Mendel Futterfa said, that's a message for a Jew. Don't tell yourself I need to survive the night. You're not going to have the willpower to, to, to do that. Five minutes at a time. That's what you need to do. Dear friends, one final story. And I, I've told you stories about this individual. I love him. Professor Velvel Green. Professor Velvel Green was a uh, rocket scientist. You know what the, the saying goes? It's not rocket scientist. It's not rocket science. He was the rocket scientist. He was uh, from the earliest uh, cutting-edge scientists on the team of NASA looking for life on Mars, testing, uh, testing space to make sure that we could send astronauts there. Unbelievable stuff. In the 60s, he, was, he, he worked in Minnesota. He was a professor at the University of Minnesota. And he got close to Chabad, to the Chabad Rabbi, Rabbi Feller, Rabbi Moshe Feller. May God grant him happy, healthy years. Still alive. Wonderful, wonderful, special Jew. And one time, and they used to learn once a week, Professor Green, Rabbi Moshe Feller, once a week they would learn Judaism. One week, uh, Rabbi, uh, one week, Professor Green tells Rabbi Feller, you know, I happen to be going on a trip this week. I'm traveling to a conference. So Rabbi Feller says, oh, tell me a little bit about it. Oh, I'm taking a stopover. I'm flying from Minnesota to Chicago, and then Chicago to wherever he's going to the conference. So Rabbi Moshe Feller says, you know, can you do me a favor? On the flight from Minnesota to Chicago, it's the evening flight, request a kosher meal. Professor Green says, I should request a kosher meal. I don't keep kosher. What do you think? Why should I order a kosher meal? Shabbat Shalom says, look, whenever I call up and ask them for a kosher meal, they always tell me that they don't have that possibility out here in the Midwest. Maybe if a second Jew calls and says they want a kosher meal, maybe they'll start bringing some kosher meals and he'll help me out. Just do me a little favor. Plus, Rabbi Feller says, maybe you'll be able to Encourage other Jews to keep kosher, that when they hear and see Professor Velvel Green order a kosher meal, maybe they'll also want to keep kosher. Professor Green says, all right, Rabbi, no problem. I'll do you a little favor. I'll call up and I'll get... He calls up the airline, Professor Velvel Green, put on my name on a kosher meal. He's there on the plane. They're giving out supper. They give him a regular supper, and he makes sure to announce very loudly, I'm sorry, I ordered a kosher meal. And they say, oh, let's go check. We got to go check. Ten minutes later, the stewardess comes back, says, I'm sorry, there's no kosher food. No, no kosher meal. 
He says, no kosher meal. <laughs> I ordered a kosher meal, but there's no kosher meal. In his mind, his, re- his gut reaction was just to say, all right, forget it, just give me a regular meal. But then he said, oh, I'm going I'm to look like an idiot. <laughs> I announced to the whole plane that I want to have a kosher meal, and now that they don't have, I'm going to ask for a non-kosher meal. He's like, all right. And he's very upset. He's like, all right, no, no supper for me tonight. He's very, very upset. He's like, how did I get into this mess? I don't even keep kosher. <laughs> but now I'm stuck that I don't have dinner. Everyone else is eating their, their good supper. And he's starting to get mad at everybody. He's in a bad mood. It's late at night. He's mad at God. I'm trying to do you a favor. I'm trying to eat kosher. You don't help me out of here. He's mad at Moshe Feller. What are you getting me into this, this trouble here? He comes to O'Hare. He's hungry. Chicago O'Hare. And the only thing that's open at 11 p.m. in the airport is a hot dog stand. Obviously not kosher. And he's like, all right, we're going to get a hot dog. And he's just upset. So before he goes to get the hot dog, he goes to the payphone, makes a collect call to Rabbi Feller in Minnesota. Rabbi Feller hears he gets to get a, a collect call from Professor Green, 11 o'clock at night. Professor, what, what, what's the emergency? Rabbi Feller, I want you to know there was no kosher food on the plane. I resent the fact that I ever even told you that I'm going to do this. And I am standing in front of a hot dog vendor, and I am going to buy one in your honor. I'm going to put on all the finishings, all the trimmings, all the sauces. And every bite that I take, I'm going to think about you. I just want to let you know. So Rabbi Feller says, you know, Professor Green, you've asked me so many times, what is the essence of Judaism? And I always struggle to give you a satisfactory answer. You, know, you want to know if you have to boil Judaism down to the essence. What, is re- what really is Judaism? What's Judaism really getting at? You've always asked me. Now I'll finally tell you the answer. The essence of Judaism is that you don't eat that hot dog. And Professor Green says, Feller, I always thought you were crazy. Now I know that you are crazy. Have a good night. That was the conversation. Now, Professor Green writes this in his, in his book. This. He goes to the hot dog stand. He's waiting online. But then when it's, ter- when it's time for him to order a hot dog, all of a sudden he just he says, I can't do this. He says that was the beginning of his commitment to eating kosher. And Rabbi Feller told him, this was the final comment of Rabbi Feller on the phone. He says, all of life as a Jew is seeing the hot dog stand and walking right by it. If you need to to put it together, you know what being a Jew is? You know what being a Benini is? Being hungry, seeing the hot dog stand, which figuratively means anything. You're at a crossroads, there's a temptation. And saying, I'm just going to keep on walking. And then two minutes later, you'll maybe meet your next hot dog stand, your next challenge. And you'll have to make a new choice. <laughs> that is what the author is saying. The journey of being a Bainini starts today, starts now. It's not a big diet program that maybe sometime in August we'll get to. No, no, no. Right now, today, one thing. And the Rebbe would always encourage Jews, don't make a big commitment. I'm keeping Shabbos from now on. No. Say, I'll keep the Shabbos. 
Say I'll keep this only Friday night. Shabbos days, make a choice right now. Make, make one small choice, one commitment. What is going to be my bainity decision where I tell myself, I don't want to be a Russia. The real me is the me who wants to connect to God to do the mitzvah. What is going to be that decision today? And do it. The next decision is the next decision. That's the next five minutes. We'll get there in five minutes. Right now, it's just five minutes. And dear friends, with that we conclude. Next week, we'll conclude chapter 14. And we'll continue learning about the how of being a Bainani. Thank you so much for joining. God bless you all and have a wonderful night.